Greetings and salutations and welcome to the show dedicated to revisiting films, albums and games and ask anyone for seconds. I'm your host Dave. Hi, how are you? You look nice. Have you done something with your hair? I thought so. Today we're travelling all the way back to 1989, donning our finest tutus and seeing whether the Toxic Avenger 3, The Last Temptation of Toxy, is worth a reappraisal. First, there was the theatrical smash hit, The Toxic Avenger. Then came the second theatrical smash hit, The Toxic Avenger Part 2. And now, people of Tromoville, The Toxic Avenger's back. The Toxic Avenger Part 3. The Last Temptation of Toxie. There it is! Yes, the first superhero from New Jersey returns. He's looking better than ever. He's fighting better than ever. He's just better than ever. So this is your big, beautiful love He is hot. The Toxic Avenger Part 3. So, as previously stated, Toxie 3 was released in 1989 by Troma Films. Wait, Troma? I thought they were the king of bad cinema. Why is this being re-appraised, I hear you cry? Well, the fact that out of all four films, Toxie 3 has the distinguished honour of being the lowest rated on Rotten Tomatoes. On, on day of recording, it currently sits with an audience rating of 26%. Big deal, I hear you say. Well... What if I told you that Toxie 1 and 4 are both rated 70% fresh? What if I told you that even Toxie 2 sat with a 33% audience rating? That's why we're reappraising this. As with our previous episode, let's get into our context dump. Toxie 3, 1989. Troma. Yes, Dave, we get it. Tell us something new, you monotonous fool. Fine. Have at this then. It was directed by Troma Entertainment co-founders Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hertz with a budget of $500,000. It returned a stunning $363,561 at the box office. How's that for new information? I can even tell you that in the US it opened in a whopping 40 screens and it grossed $52,080 in its opening weekend in the USA. For a small independent studio like Troma, that's not bad going if you ask me. Um, okay, Dave, I mean, that's great and all, but how about a synopsis? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I've actually got you a synopsis right here. So, The Toxic Avenger Part 3. What is it? It's about New Jersey's first ever superhero, and he's become bored because he's ridden his beloved hometown of Tromaville of crime. So when Toxie decides to take a well-paying job at Apocalypse Inc., things aren't quite what they seem. Yeah, they're called Apocalypse Inc. I know, get over it. So, now that we've got the context dump out of the way, let's dive in to ask him, anyone for seconds? Now, this time around, I've actually recorded an audio commentary for you. Don't worry, your precious little head. I've significantly shortened, cut, and edited it so you can get a real feel of how I felt during the recording. So, let's cut away to some time ago, when Dave, that being me, was much happier and not thinking about accordions. Fret not, that's gonna make sense soon. See you in a little while. 
So here we go. We're going in. We're going to see how this goes. Now, I recall, remember not actually liking this one a great deal. So hopefully with the rewatch, it's going to improve somewhat. That's nice, a handy little recap, but just in case we've forgotten what's happened. Although I suppose actually it kind of fits in with the, um, the superhero aesthetic, I guess. Because they shot number two and number three back to back, back to back, if I recall. Not I recall number two being any bottle as it is. Intro theme, though. The Toxic Avenger. Good Lord, 80 style was weird, wasn't it? The guy's got a t shirt on and it's got holes in the nipples. That, 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 that's a bit odd. And then the, what's with the tiny bits of hair coming out of the, the, the bald heads? That's that's just odd. Ah, oh, yeah, Troma's all in universe as well. That's a bit jarring. Flying for no reason. I mean, we'll go with it. Oh, no, the cuts aren't over the nipples, are they? They're open for the tattoos. Of course they are. I mean, of course they're open for the tattoos. Got to see them tats. Mommy's 
Do you know, I'm at least 99% sure it's not explained why his, his, he has a different girlfriend from from the first one. I don't know whether it was due to, like, dispute with Pei for the first girl or what, but it's kind of never explained, and that, that bothers me. I've got to look it up first, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, would you look at that? The girl was called Sarah in the first one, and now and now she's called uh, Claire. That that's a bit weird. Mm. That's not to say that Claire, the, the woman playing Claire, doesn't actually do a bad job, but it, it, it's just a bit strange. Do you know what's weird is the fact that they got this guy playing Melvin when he's not, but obviously it's not the same guy. So why did they put in the archive footage of someone else? If you knew we were going to get him back, why would you put in archive footage? Why wouldn't you just refilm it? What is with all of the accordion? Very strange. Very, very strange indeed. I don't even think she plays the accordion in the second one. It's ridiculous. I mean, what's with it? Did this actress know how to play it? And they were like, yeah, we must put it in the film. And that's obviously a reference to uh, Tommy by the Who, I'm assuming. Because, you know, she gets, she's blind and she gets really good at video games. Yeah, they did go really over the top for this. Hands are a bit much as well. That's a pretty good painting though with the background. That's actually not bad. Oh look, the painting's even got blinking lights on it. That's pretty cool. So here we go ladies and gents. The moment of truth. She's getting a new eyes. What do we think is going to happen? Obvious joke is obvious. And again, with the fucking accordion. What is it with that fucking accordion? 
I just, I'm tired now. I'm getting tired of this. Who insisted on the accordion? Wait, is that Michael J. White? Just randomly in the background. This requires research. I'm sure it is though. Definitely looks like Michael J. White. Let's have a look. Bear with me. Yes. Toxic Avenger Part 2 and Part 3 Apocalypse Inc. Executive. Well, they keep that quiet, don't they? Maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. Oh my god, that was a flashback. Oh my god. They seriously spent like an hour at the film. It was like a flashback. Oh my god. More gooey squirty effects. That, that. See, why couldn't they have done more of that? This is probably the most visual, in, visually interesting thing that's done in this film so far is the fact that they're making him gooey and he's, you know, and melting effectively. Oh, and it looks absolutely horrific. And it's great. Sticking his fingers in there, ripping the skin off. That that looks great. That's fucking horrifying, but it looks great. Look at that with his bones of his fingers. You can see the bones of his fingers and his ribcage. It is fucking horrific. With his face melting away. That looks great. Proper gooey 80s effects. Okay, that's been the, pretty much the one redeeming factor of this film so far. So remember at the start of the start of the commentary where I said, actually she's not bad in this. I take it back, she's pretty awful. The 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 girl playing Claire, that is. What? This is officially where the film jumps the shark. They want a force of God to get out of this. Let me guess. They're going to go see God?
Well, even, even better, you're going to get ooh, sparkles. Ooh, ooh. A thing. Again, with the tongue fella, it's, it's not becoming of you. So suddenly he's not been able to beat him before, but because some sparkles came out of nowhere, he can now pick him up and throw him about. And, and, um, rip into his chest? Is that? Kind of? Yeah. Rip through the rubber. Rip out. Green stuff. Nice. That's pretty cool. He's doing the tongue again, but that, that looks pretty cool with all the snakes and all the goo and stuff. That's pretty cool. Oh no, they get married as well. Oh, no, monster and wife. That That's clever. Real clever there. And that's the end, I guess. Well, that was certainly an experience. So, Dave, how was it for you? Well, I don't really know. The film, quite honestly, is a mixed bag. From the strong start with a fight in the video store to then start to start from then on, it's a weird thing to see. Although, talking of that fight in the store, we've got to talk gore now. I actually did my research and I managed to find the uncut version of the film and watch that. Not the much touted director's cut, which is heavily cut to shreds to remove some of the more, shall we say, gratuitous scenes of bodily mutilation and gore. Now, having all the extra gore actually adds to the experience, given how bland the supposed director's cut is. Sure, you need to try and appeal to as wide an audience as possible, but even then, given that this film is only really going to appeal to a small niche audience, you know, it's not much in it. Gore itself is actually trademark trauma. It's bloody, over-the-top, hyper-realistic gore, and it's not for the faint of heart. The effects to portray Satan as well actually look pretty good. He's gooey, the suit itself looks fantastic, even if it is rubbery in a couple of shots, and it's suitably menacing enough to compare and match up to Toxie himself. Moving on from the gore now, let's talk about the direction of the film. It's competently made. That's how I'm going to choose to describe it. Don't hate me. Okay, although it wasn't made to garner awards, they certainly didn't slack off when it came to the film. The Light of Apocalypse Inc. itself, yeah, that's what it's called. I told you about this. It's actually quite visually interesting. There's a lot of reds and subtle darkness as well. It actually adds to the whole vibe of the place being the villain's hideout. Toxie's dump is suitably grimy with lots of toxic barrels and toxic waste. You kind of believe that actually if there was a genetically altered superhero by toxic waste, that they would live in that dump. Even the town of Tromville itself, it's geographically sound. There is no mistaking where everyone is and what everything is at any given time. Unlike the confusing geography of, say, I don't know, the hospital in Halloween 2. But that's a subject for another time. It's an 
Now we're going to talk about the acting. Can we talk about the acting? It's over the top. You know what? Given the confines of the film, it actually works. It's going to annoy some, while some others relish in the contest to see which actor's going to choose the most scenery. Sadly, that's pretty much all the positive I can find in the film. Its main cardinal sin, though, is just so incredibly boring. Pace is slow. The middle act just plods along at such a sluggish pace that I was left continually checking the runtime just to realise that what honestly had felt like hours had only been a couple of minutes. Even if the pacing had been improved with a re-edit, I don't think it would have stopped the film from being any better. It would have would certainly wouldn't have stopped the script from being lackluster, and that's where the majority of the film falls down. I mean, it's all well and good having the components to make a great trauma film, like all the fake blood in the world, all your rubber prosthetics and everything, even women willing to get their breasts out on camera. I mean, if your script isn't up to snuff, then it's not really going to matter. Now, the story itself is a great concept. The notion of what does a hero do when all the streets have been purged of all crime, that in itself is a fantastic idea. Unfortunately, it's squandered for a fairly boring pedestrian plot of the hero, working for the villain, not realising they're a villain, and sorting out the mess they've made. Again, I know it's a trauma film, but more foresight could have yielded better results. The jokes themselves fall flat on their face because they're inherently... They're just not funny. And sometimes they're mean-spirited. I mean, there is a joke made about kids working on a chemical called Agent Orange, and it's going to help with their learning their primary colours while we see children convulsing on the floor. No. Just no. Now, I've got a very final gripe. It's pretty small. It's very unnoticeable. No one's going to really comment on it. Now, don't mind accordions. They're a wonderful instrument full of sounds, and it takes a lot of skill to play on. Have you ever heard of the French metal band Eagle? If you haven't, check them out. They use a lot of accordion and it works really well. It is suitably messed up. However, answer me this, right? Why does it seem like that just because Phoebe Leger, who plays Claire, is an extremely versatile artist who just happened to be able to play the accordion and have a record contract at the time, she's actually forced with no real reason to play it at several points during the film. There's no call for it. Doesn't make sense. I assume Troma are probably trying to get their money's worth Fair play to him for that. They're a small independent budget studio. But it wasn't needed. Although Stylinus and Toxie 2 didn't really seem to hurt Phoebe's career, as shown for David Bowie on his 1990 US leg of his sound and vision tour, and continued to record music ever since. Maybe I just answered my own question. But still, accordions. Why? So, my final thoughts now. Is it worth a watch? I would honestly say it's going to be for completionists only. If you've seen the first two and want to carry on Toxie's adventure, sure, why not? It's certainly a way to spend time, I guess. Personally, though, just stick with the original and the full film because those films are actually more of a sequel to each other than two and three are. Hell, even Troma themselves, well, I say Troma, Stanley in a cameo that's credited as Peter Parker, apologises for two and three. That's pretty much says it all. It's not the worst film I've ever seen, but it's not one that's essential for you, and it won't be missed if you don't see it. Although, if you are going to see it, I highly recommend in doing a research and finding the uncut version. Took me a little while to find it in the UK, because the 88 film's Blu-ray release is the much-touted director's cut. That is cut to shreds. That's how I originally saw it, and I wasn't standing for it this time, so I had to go and find an older DVD release. 
But with this modern age of the internet now, you shouldn't have any problem finding it. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you've heard, please leave a like, a rating, and a review on your platform of choice. There's no excuse not to, because this little pod, it's everywhere! If you fancy continuing the conversation, we're over on that there. Twitter is at anyone podcast. As seems to be traditional now, I'm going to leave you with the theme tune from what was heard earlier in my commentary of the film. Thanks again, and good night. Good night.